if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 9. When I was younger, my, uh, my high school days, this might shock some of you to know this, but uh, I, I was band geek extraordinaire <laughs> back in the day. And uh, there was a time where um, kind of my life was devoted to that. And uh, it was my senior year in high school, I put together a percussion ensemble uh, to play the William Tell Overture. You might know it better as the Lone Ranger song. Um, but we put together nothing, nothing but percussion. No, no horns, no brass, no anything. Yeah, Billy, you know what that's about. And um, yeah, we, we entered into, into a competition uh, for that. Let's try this and see if this is any better. Okay, so anyway, um, I couldn't find anybody to play the crash cymbals, you know, like the you know, march band type crash cymbals. And uh, I recruited a buddy, my buddy Steve, and my, you know, since we were kids, he wasn't a musician at all, didn't really have any sense of rhythm, but he was willing to, to come and do our thing uh, with us. And so we worked with him and, and taught him. And, and I don't know if you get, like, if you, if you know the William Tell Overture, you know, it starts out kind of low, you know, and it just kind of builds. And there comes this point where, like, right at the crescendo of it, the, the cymbals clang, and it's a super important part, right? Um, a small part, but a super important part that, that just kind of gets you up to the crescendo. And it, I, it was on my mind this week just thinking about that as it pertained to our text. And so maybe this is a weird connection. But, you know, as we have gone through chapter 8, um, it's been building, right? It's been building. So we see in chapter 8 that Jesus has authority uh, over diseases, right? He's healing people. We see that Jesus has authority over uh, disaster. He calmed a storm. We see that Jesus has authority over the demons. And as we get into chapter 9, it's time for the crash symbols to clang as the crescendo uh, of this part of the narrative. Matthew has been building and showing us little by little the authority of Jesus, right? And, and these things that he has power and control over. Uh, and then he just speaks a word and things happen, right? And, and I don't want to miss the point uh, that we see in chapter 9 today. The, the heading in your Bible probably says something along the lines that Jesus heals a paralytic something like that. And Jesus does heal a paralytic uh, in this passage, but that's not the point of the passage, and I hope that we'll see today that there's a bigger thing uh, going on. So with that, let's, let's read the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 9, and we'll get into our text. It says, Getting into a boat, he crossed over, and he came up to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So a lot going on in this passage, uh, and I don't want to miss it. If we look at Mark's account uh, of this passage, Mark gives us a little more detail than what Matthew gives us. Uh, Mark tells us that uh, there were four men that brought their buddy to get healed. And Jesus, as he often did when he went places, had drawn a crowd. And he was in a house. 
and it was difficult because of the crowd to get into this house. And so these four buddies with their friend who was a paralytic that needed to be healed, they climbed up on the roof and they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered their buddy down so that Jesus could heal. Like these guys were pretty intent on trying to get their buddy what he needed or what they thought that he needed, right? Um, and Jesus, uh, in Mark's account, also commends their faith, right? And uh, eventually ends up healing this man. But before he heals this man, he looks at him and he says, his sins are forgiven. And make no mistake, this is the crescendo of the narrative where the crash symbol clangs, right? To get our attention. This is the point of the passage. Not that Jesus just healed a paralytic. This, this man as a paralytic obviously had needs, Right? If you think about the ancient world, um, ADA wasn't a thing in the ancient world. Uh, you know, they didn't make curbs so that people that were in chairs could get up on curbs. They didn't probably have public restrooms that were accessible by people that had these types of disabilities. Uh, just in life, you were kind of relegated to being a poor beggar if you had this kind of an infirmity, unless you had you know, four good buddies that were willing to help you out. Um, and so, so this guy had physical, real felt needs in his life just to survive from day to day. He needed people to do for him most likely just about everything that needed to be done in his life. So obviously there were some needs there. And these four buddies of this paralytic man, they brought him to Jesus and were told um, that Jesus recognized the faith of these men. We don't know who these men were. We don't know their names. We don't really know anything about them except they had a buddy with some needs and they brought their buddy to Jesus. But their, their faith in this passage of Scripture is recognized. Their faith was real. Again, not, not the main point of the passage, but their faith is recognized. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things that we hope for and the conviction of things that we don't see. And these men had enough faith in who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing that they felt compelled to take their buddy there. We don't know if they had strong faith uh, and they just knew that Jesus could heal their buddy. We don't know if they had weak faith and maybe this was kind of a like, well, let's give this a try. What else, what else are we going to do? We don't really know that about them other than that they had enough faith to bring their buddy. We're also told in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? That those who would come after God would, would uh, trust that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And it would seem with these men that they were trusting that there was a reward in this seeking of Jesus that their buddy would get healed. So an important part of the story, but, but it's not the main thing I don't think that Matthew is trying to show us here. The paralytic had a greater problem than his paralysis. This, I think, is what Matthew is trying to show us. It's not to say that his paralysis wasn't a problem. It obviously was, Right? But it's not the greatest problem that this man had. When they first brought him to Jesus, it says that Jesus saw the faith of the men, and, and he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Crash symbols clang, right? Your sins are forgiven. I would imagine there would have been some people in the room that said, Wait, what what? What did he just say? Right? There was an expectation that he was just gonna speak the healing into existence like he had been doing, right? And he doesn't address that first. He addresses the man's greater problem that his sins would be forgiven. Now, kind of a mind-boggling part of this passage, too, is that the man wasn't asking for his sins to be forgiven. 
He didn't show up and he didn't appeal to Jesus saying, I'm a great sinner. Can, can you show mercy to me? He, he didn't do that. In this moment, the, the guy didn't ask Jesus into his heart. He's incapable of walking an aisle, right? Incapable probably of even raising his hand in a service. And he comes to Jesus. He's brought to Jesus and Jesus declares that his sins are forgiven. Matthew doesn't really address that aspect of it, uh, and I don't want to go off on, a, on too much of a tangent today, but we see Jesus simply having mercy on someone who himself is not necessarily asking for the mercy of Jesus, and he forgives his sin. We're told in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, verse 36, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We know that, right? That's why we show up here week after week, but John 3.36 goes on to say that who does not, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see eternal life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Not that in that moment he's a recipient of the wrath of God, but the wrath of God remains on the one who doesn't believe. Right? We know that our Bible tells us that we, we enter into this life under the wrath of God because of our sin nature. And so we come into this world immediately having a problem that's greater than any other problem that we might have in our life. And this man had this same problem that, that he was under the wrath of God. And God, in this great act of mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, pronounces the forgiveness of sins upon this man. I don't want this to be lost on us today. Jesus isn't just saying, I forgive your sins and, oh, I'm going to heal you, right? Like, this, this is a big deal, that Jesus forgives sins. Even to the, to the Jew of Jesus' day, their belief was that only God forgives sins. And so there's only two possibilities given this statement that Jesus makes when he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. One, he's blaspheming. Two, he's claiming to be God. This is a big statement that Jesus makes here. He's either blaspheming or he's claiming to be God. And we see the reaction of the scribes. It says, behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. In Mark's account, Mark says that they thought to themselves that this man is blaspheming and that Jesus perceived even their thoughts in that moment. And I'm sure that you could look around the room and you could see the look on people's faces at this kind of mic drop type of a statement. It probably wasn't any secret in the, in the moment what everybody may have been thinking. Matthew tells us that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Now, we, we give the, the religious people of Jesus' day kind of a hard time, and rightly so most of the time. Right here in this moment, though, I think... I think the religious leaders of Jesus' day are kind of rightfully thinking what they ought to rightfully be thinking in the moment. This guy's either a blasphemer or he's claiming to be God, and if he's claiming to be God, that's a pretty serious claim, right? I don't think we can be too terribly hard on them in this moment for thinking probably what any of us would have thought were we there as they were. But Jesus calls them out knowing their thoughts and asks them, why do you think evil in your hearts? So even though they might be thinking kind of along the right lines at this time, Jesus calls their thoughts 
evil for not recognizing. Again, this is kind of a crescendo of a narrative. Jesus has healed lots of people up to this point. Jesus has calmed a storm at this point. Jesus has commanded demons at this point. A legion of demons, not just one, but a legion of demons. Jesus has established who he is by the time we get to this crescendo point of the narrative. By the time the crash symbol goes off, we should know there's something about this guy. This isn't just a regular person, because regular people can't do what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus, being who he is, in verse 5, says, For what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Right? I can stand up here and I can tell all of you, your sins are forgiven. But prove it. Prove me wrong, right? I could also stand up here and, and pronounce healing upon all your infirmities, right? Whatever they might be. And there would be definitive proof as to whether that healing took place or not. Right? Your back's either better or it's not, or whatever the case might be. And so Jesus just calls them out and asks them, what, what's the easier thing to do? In verse 6 he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He looks at the paralytic and he says, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus healed a paralytic. But again, not the point I don't think that Matthew was trying to make, just that here's another healing in a long line of healings that Jesus has done. Jesus, in this moment, healed the paralytic so that he could prove a point. That if he has the authority to heal a paralytic, he also has the authority to forgive sins. We, we, we live in a day today, in our kind of modern age, where we can do a lot of things medically. We can fix a lot of broken things in people. We can't fix everything, but we can fix a lot of broken things in people. We have the ability to do that. They didn't have this ability back then. It was unheard of for a paralytic to pick up his bed and walk. We would probably even marvel at something like that today, even with all of our medical and technological advancements. But this was really a big deal back in Jesus' day. This healing, again, was to, a, a, to prove that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. It was, at the same time, a claim of deity. It's easy to pronounce the forgiveness of sins, but when you can't prove it, what, is, what does that mean? And so, so here we see, again, as a crescendo, the authority of Jesus, not only in what he does, but in what he says. And you know what happened when he told the paralytic to rise, pick up your bed, and go home? He rose and he went home. He did what Jesus said. He actually did it. I don't know how many times in my life, and maybe in your life, um, you know, that, that we've prayed for sick people. And we always pray for healing. We always pray that God would heal people that have sickness or infirmity or problems or, or whatever it is because we know that he can do it. So we know, but, but I prayed for a lot of people over my lifetime in this way, but, but never has anybody in a bed, bedridden, that I've prayed for, got up and walked out of their bed. It's never happened. And it's because I don't have the authority to do that. You don't have the authority to do that. Jesus does. And if he has the authority to command the demons, if he has the authority to command the storm, if he has 
the authority to command diseases and infirmities in people, that he certainly has the authority to forgive sin. He certainly has the authority to come to us and offer to us a way to to take care of the greatest problem that we have. Whatever problems that you have in this life, whatever they are, they pale in comparison to the problem of sin. And I'm not minimizing whatever problems you might have in this life. Right? We face some pretty gnarly things sometimes, have some, some issues in our life that are real and that are legitimate. But none of those problems that we face in life are greater than the problem of sin that we have. And there's no medical advancement, no technological advancement that cures the problem of sin. Our Bible tells us there's only one cure for the problem of sin, and it's what happened to this paralytic. It's for Jesus to pronounce upon you and me that our sins have been forgiven. And that he has healed us spiritually, that he's healed us on the inside, which is far greater than any healing that can come on the outside. This is the point that Matthew is trying to show us here as the crescendo of this narrative. That if Jesus has authority over all these other things, and he does, Jesus also has authority over sins. And I'll tell you what, if if that's not true, what what are we doing here? If that's not true, why, why why do we come to worship every week? If that's not true, why do we read our Bibles? If Jesus can't forgive sins, it relegates the Word of God to maybe just some good ideas on how to live life. But I'll tell you, these good ideas, they're, they're pretty hard. You might know that already. They're pretty hard to live your life the way the Bible tells you to live your life apart from Christ and what He's done for us. And so this is a, a significant point that I hope is not lost on us, that, that Jesus forgives sins. Now, that doesn't always mean, like what we see in this case, that the forgiveness of sins comes along with the healing of an infirmity or a problem or a disease. That certainly doesn't always happen. Right? People that subscribe to more of a prosperity theology might say that there's something wrong with you if Jesus hasn't healed whatever it is that ails you. We, we see in the Bible, we see with the Apostle Paul that he had an ailment. And he begged God to fix this ailment. And what, what did God say to Paul? I'm not going to fix it this side of heaven, but my grace is enough for you. We see Jesus. Jesus didn't even have a place by his own admission to lay his head. And the people that he came to save killed him. So theologically, we wouldn't subscribe to a theology that says that, that, that the, the forgiveness of sin and the healing of what ails you is synonymous because they're not. Matter of fact, we see, I think throughout the Bible and just even our anecdotal, you know, just in our own lives and, and throughout history that oftentimes it's the things that ail us that draw us near to God, right? If life had an easy button and it could always go our way, we would have a real problem drawing near to God. But it's in our difficulties that we draw near to God. And so sometimes these difficulties maybe maybe are even ordained by God in our life so that we would draw near to him. That's going to mess with some of your theology, that statement. (laughs) Sometimes the difficulties that we face in life are ordained by God so that we would draw near to him. 
this paralytic drew near to Jesus because he had some good buddies that helped him to do that. Again, that's probably a significant point to be made in the story as well, but, but not Matthew's point. Right? You might hear a lot of pastors that would preach this section of Scripture and say, make sure you have you know, good buddies in your life that help you draw near to Christ. That's a good thing, sure. I would say that to you, but not Matthew's point, not the point that he's trying to make. Not the point that he's trying to make that the buddies had enough faith to get their friend there. Again, Jesus addressed the greater problem first in issuing the forgiveness of sins before he issued the healing. So verse 7 says that he rose and he went home. Imagine what the journey home was like for this guy and his buddies that brought him. What did they talk about? I don't know. I sure would have liked to have been following closely as they were walking home to hear that conversation. Maybe even had dinner with him that night just to hear that they're reveling in, in what happened. Verse 8 ends the account saying that when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Mark's account ends by telling us that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's, that's probably a true statement. They've never seen anything like this. It's, it's probably a true statement in Matthew's account that when people saw it that they were afraid. Well, what do you do with that if you witness something like that? It, it messes with, with you, right? And so they were afraid. In Matthew's account, we're told that they glorified God. That's a good thing, right? We should glorify God in those moments. But in their kind of glorifying of God, they note that God had given such authority to men. They kind of missed the point here, I think. God didn't give the authority to a man. Right? Jesus, Jesus is not just a man. Right? Jesus is God in human flesh. Right? God among us. But they miss the point here, I think, in their assertion that God had given such authority to men. There were still some in this group, in this room, in this house, that had not recognized the authority of Jesus. They might have recognized that he had some kind of authority in order to do what he did, but it doesn't seem that they recognized who Jesus was. And in Mark's account, when it says, we've never seen anything like this before, like they, it doesn't even give an account that they recognize anything about Jesus. It's like, whoa, <laughs> never seen that party trick before. And, and so I think you have a group of people here who, who maybe missed a bit of the point. They missed out on Jesus. And I think Matthew would have us not miss out on who Jesus is. Matthew would have us not miss out on the fact that, that yes, Jesus did heal a guy. Yes, that guy had, had friends who had faith that brought him there. Yes, they did this remarkable, extraordinary thing in lowering, lowering their buddy through a roof so they could get to Jesus. All cool things, cool stories. Like Those are great stories that I'm sure these men told throughout the rest of their life. Maybe they even got together every so often. Hey, re hey, remember when this thing happened? <laughs> remember when we tore off the roof and we lowered it? You know, they, they probably talked about it. Good stories to recount. But again, not the point. Faith is good. Friends that take you to Jesus are good. 
going to Jesus with your infirmities, trusting that he can do something about it. Good. But the clanging crash symbol at the crescendo of the narrative is that Jesus forgives sins, and only God can forgive sins. Only God can do that. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day took that as a blasphemous statement, so they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't recognize from where his authority came. Maybe, we're not told, but maybe some that day did recognize it. I don't know. But again, not, not Matthew's point that, that maybe many people came to faith that day. Matthew is showing us in his gospel account, showing us definitively that Jesus is God and that God alone forgives sins. And that our problem of sin is the greatest problem that we have as human beings. And, and, and I'm, I would hope that we're, we're all here today because we know and understand and believe that to be true. I hope that we're all here today because we've experienced, like this paralytic, the forgiveness of sins, that we've experienced the greatest healing that we could ever experience in our life as human beings. But, but if you're here today and you haven't experienced what this paralytic has experienced, really a spiritual paralysis at the end of the day that Jesus zeroed in on that was greater than the physical paralysis, that there's a way that we can have our sins forgiven. I think about a, a man that we, we met with, gosh, maybe it's been a, a couple of years ago now, but I remember uh, in a conversation with a guy that... that we told him that his sins could be forgiven and you just saw his whole demeanor change in that moment of just being told your sins could be forgiven. Because in that moment, I think he was a guy that realized the burden of sin, the weightiness of sin. He realized the problem of sin. And, and I think today that, that God would have us realize that sin, like it's not just a bad thing, like it's a problem. Right? It's a problem in our life. It's such a problem that God loved the world so much that what did he do? He sent his only son so that those who would believe in him, those who would trust in him, those who would come to him to have their spiritual paralysis healed would have it healed and would have eternal life. We're told that God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world from this problem of sin. And this is what Matthew is trying to tell us in our text today, that Jesus is here to save us from the problem of sin. It's our sin, the Bible tells us, that separates us from God. It's our sin that causes there to be a divide between me, an unrighteous, unholy sinner, and a righteous and holy God. And it's God's proactiveness in sending his son to take on the penalty for sin not only for me not only for you but for everybody who's ever lived through all of time and all of history that the jesus death covered the penalty for the sins of all of mankind for all of time the universalist might stop there and just say that you know in the end love wins and that we're all we're all going to make it to heaven but the bible doesn't stop there the Bible tells us that we must come to Christ in faith and in repentance. That we must recognize the problem of sin and repent of it or turn away from it and come to him in faith, trusting what he's done for us. 
something that we could never do on our own. That he's done it. And that he alone has the authority to forgive sin. I don't have any power in my life and you don't have any power in your life to be good enough for long enough to take care of the problem of sin. God alone has the authority and the power over sin and to declare it forgiven. And so I hope that we would be reminded today of who Christ is, that we would be reminded today of what he's done for us. And that all of us, whether, whether you've come to him yet in faith and repentance, that, that you would consider in light of who he is and in light of what he's done for us, how we ought to live. We, we see as we make our way through gospel accounts, we see as we get into the book of Acts that the Bible shows that people, like the pattern is that people come to faith and they come after they come to faith, like they got to go tell people about what happened in their life. They got to tell people about who Jesus is and, and what he's done for them. And, and as a church that talks a lot about how we want to be kind of outward facing, right? This is at the heart of why we want to be outward facing because Jesus has done for us something that we couldn't do apart from him. And it's actually God's plan that, that those people who have been redeemed and reconciled to him would then go outside of these four walls and spread the message of redemption and reconciliation. Right? That, that's the Christian life, is that. And so don't be like the people that were there present that, that missed entirely who Jesus is and what he's done. If you're here today and you have faith in Christ, Jesus has healed your spiritual paralysis. You couldn't have done that without him. You, couldn't, you wouldn't have done it without him, even if you could, right? He's done it for you. He's done it for you. Don't, don't miss out on that. Hear the crash symbols clanging at the crescendo of Jesus claiming to be God, and not only claiming, but showing himself to be God in the forgiveness of sins. So, short passage, but a lot, a lot of things going on here. Just like any composition, right? In our William Tell composition, we had you know the bass drum over here doing this. We had bells over here doing this. A snare drum doing its thing. At one point, there was even a little triangle doing its thing. Lots going on. But, but nobody misses when the cymbals clang at, at the height of the composition. Nobody misses that. So, don't miss the cymbals clanging today in Jesus claim of deity and Jesus' act of forgiving sins and proving the forgiveness of sins with the healing of his paralytic. Father, we're grateful today that, um, that these things are true of you. We're thankful that you can heal physical infirmities. But more than that, we're thankful that you can heal the things that we can't necessarily see. We're thankful that you um, have made a way for us um, to have our sins atoned for we're thankful uh, for Jesus, thankful that um, in this account today that we see him dealing with the greater thing, the forgiveness of sins. And so I would pray today for those of us that are here that we would be reminded uh, for those who are followers of Christ that you have indeed forgiven our sins, that you continue to forgive our sins as we commit them, that you would help us all to come to you in faith and repentance. And for those that, that might be here that haven't experienced the forgiveness of sins, God, that you would be uh, speaking to their hearts right now, uh, reminding them that their sins can be forgiven if they turn to you. And so we would pray uh, for that to happen. Uh, 
Lord, thank you for, for speaking to us today, and just pray that it wouldn't be lost on us, just this powerful truth of the gospel, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.